Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schockman. I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratz. And we have with us New Hanover County GOP Chairman Will Connect. Hey, it's great to be with you all this morning. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you may notice Will's voice is a little hoarse because he has been uh, shouting jubilantly. Absolutely. It's been a great week. So, yeah, let's get into it. The results of the 2022 general election here in New Hanover County, uh, a surprise to many, probably even you. Um, Republicans sweeping the school board, strong showing on the board of commissioners and uh, holding on to local incumbency spots. So let's just, from the top, get your reaction to all this, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pleased but not satisfied. Again, we go into the race and we go into uh, campaign season, uh, and our objective is to win every race. And uh, we didn't do that. Uh, But uh, I would suggest that we probably uh, overran expectations of what we would achieve at this uh, at this time. And so we're really pleased with the results. We're excited about uh, what our candidates now elected officials will do in office. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's go time. And now in terms of the uh, New Hanover County Board of Education, uh, as Ben just mentioned, that was a sweep for the Republicans. And uh, it, since I've been here, at least, it, six years or so in Wilmington. I'm not sure I've ever really seen a full sweep with that many seats open. Was that uh, particularly surprising for you? You know, obviously, like you said, you want to win every election. Um, everybody does. Uh, but the the reality isn't always like that. So to see, especially when the early votes were in, uh, it did not appear to be that way at all. And then it just kind of flooded in uh, with four Republicans taking that board. What do you attribute to that? I, I think, you know, first of all, Michael, we were surprised by the results. We had four great candidates. But I think the the strategic direction we took on that campaign um, with our great candidates, uh, we focused on running as, as, as a slate. And if you see many of the things that we did, it was all four of them presented. And we made it a, a, a discussion that to see change in our schools for our kids, we needed to elect all four. And I think that strategic discussion of, of not maybe totally running as a slate, uh, you know, absolutely, but presenting it as four and, and, and the, the need for change, all four needing electing, I think that's what won, is great candidates with a good strategy of pushing all four at one time. Yeah, one question I had about this is uh, when you're running a slate, not everyone on the slate feels the same way about every issue. And certainly um, it's not a secret that I, I have disagreed with some of the candidates on issues like criticism of, of grooming or SEL. Um, you know, it seems like candidates like Pete Wildeboer and maybe Josie Barnhart were maybe less vocal about those issues compared to uh, Pat Bradford and Melissa Mason. So how do you keep your candidates sort of on the same slate when they they do seem to represent a, a broader range of, of feelings on issues? Absolutely. It's not always easy. But what we did is we looked at the issues that mattered to parents and grandparents and kids. And what we, what we did uh, is we identified those that all of our candidates agreed on that were important for our children. And that's what we focused on. We did not, as a party, and in some of the work that we did in the background, we didn't focus on the issues where there were differences in our candidates. We focused on the critical issues, which really, at the end of the day, were the main issues equal opportunity for every student, 
every child getting the same opportunity, returning to the basics of education, a safe place to come to school, and parents having the, the ability to direct their child's education. That's what we were hearing from, from the, the, the folks in town, and that's what we focused on were those core issues. Great. And I do have a question about some of those more uh, divisive topics that uh, Ben had just mentioned. Obviously, like you said, not running on running the slate with all of those. You just don't really bring up those sorts of issues. But uh, in general, and I promise I would ask uh, a Democrat this question as well, um, because there are obviously issues on both sides of the spectrum that reach what a lot of people will just refer to as more extreme uh, topics and ideas, especially when you get into subjects, and I won't ask your opinions on these things, like banning books or, um, you know, more sensitive topics like that. How do you, you know, as a party, um, balance the fact that people, uh, there are people that care about this. It might not even be the majority of people that, like, are out there in the GOP saying, hey, let's, you know, let's make sure that all these books aren't there, uh, because that does set a precedent that a lot of people do not want to see book banning. But how do you kind of keep the more extreme rhetoric, um, you know, to, to make it more moderate, middle of the road for your candidates, uh, especially when we're dealing with local issues here that uh, a lot of the national discussion isn't really relevant? I think the you know, the move now from a campaign to governing. And the beauty of our system is there are seven school board members. And those individuals, whether they be on our side or the other side, who have run on certain issues, they will be putting those issues forward. I, I guarantee our, our candidates want to be held accountable uh, by the voters of New Hanover County to do what they said they would do, to put forward those ideas they said that they would put forward. And so now it gets to governing. And those individuals on both sides of the aisle who have different thoughts will present that to the board. The board will deliberate on those issues. And seven members of the school board will make that decision. So I think, Michael, from a party perspective, uh, we love America. We love a governing body of seven individuals who will make decisions on some of the more controversial issues. And again, at the end of the day, that body will speak. And in, at the end of the day, in two years and in four years, uh, we, uh, the people, will speak again at the ballot box and on how they delivered. And one thing I think that's interesting is the power of, of language, right? We see not book banning, but we see, we, you know, the question to us, is it appropriate for a three-year-old to be exposed to certain sexual material? Is it appropriate, or should that be left in the home? So to us, it's not an issue of book banning. It is what is appropriate in a, a school library for kids to see. And that's, that's where we look at that issue, not necessarily book banning like the Nazis did. But uh, is it appropriate material for kids to see outside of their home? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And I, I had this conversation with Melissa Mason, who I, I want to thank for being willing to come down to the station and, and talk to me about some of this stuff. I think one of the things we agreed on is you've got a voting block of four. You guys can basically make policy now. But you've got to come up with a system that you can live with if four Democrats come in in two years and sweep. So you have to, for example, you know, what's available in, a, say, elementary school library. I think that's the most sensitive part of this. Um, because, you know, a high school student, they can probably handle The Bluest Eye or Tropic of Cancer or a book like that. But uh, an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, I understand. I've heard lots of concerns from people on both sides of the aisle of that. 
But you have to find a system where in four years, you know, we're not seeing people who want to ban Shakespeare or ban the Bible. Absolutely. Right? Because they find something offensive like that. So No question about it, Ben. That's an important point. So I think that's I mean, that's gonna be the struggle. It's it's easy it's not easy. <laughs> but it is probably easier to bring up the concern and, and vocalize the concern you've heard from the public you're representing to and than it is to, you know, craft policy that is durable and livable for for everyone. And the job of governing is never easy. Nope. And again, that's what makes our system so good is it's not one individual mandating what happens. It's a body of seven making a decision. And uh, our candidates will be strong bringing forth what they campaigned on. And their desire is to deliver on the promises they made to those who voted for them. Now it's up to a body of seven to determine the policy that goes forward. Yeah, and so t- if we can switch away a little bit from the school to New Hanover County uh, commissioners, we saw uh, Commissioner Rob Zappel was reelected. He is a Democrat, um, although he often votes along. Uh, he, he does seem to vote in tandem. Actually, the, the full board really seems to all vote together, um, which can be good or bad, depending on which way you look at that. Um, but we also have uh, Leanne Pierce, who is a Republican, the Republican Party now has the majority on the, the county commission, even though uh, current chairwoman Julie Olson-Bozeman has... You kind of had a begrudging majority, an, un, an unwilling majority. Next topic. Next topic. All right. <laughs> Just Fair kidding. Enough. Just kidding. I think, you know, but in, in terms of, you know, the, the election results from this week, yeah. um, I think it was pretty clear that Rob Zappel, and just a disclosure notice, Rob Zappel's on the HQR board of directors. He has no editorial control. Definitely came really far right, um, at least to the center in his campaign. And I think that shows up if you look at his um, campaign finance. You know, he got a big boost right at the end from a number of gentlemen from Cape Fear uh, Commercial. It's a, you know, a stalwart Republican organization, a lot of... Um, a lot of folks there have supported Republican causes. They're just conservative-minded people. Um, and they, I believe, collectively gave eight to $10,000 to Rob. And so we asked his campaign manager about this because there was, you know, the timing was a little bit interesting. It came right after the Bank of America purchase. So we just wanted to be totally clear that this was above board. And they said, look, these guys have consistently reported, uh, supported Rob because he's, in their, from their point of view, on the right side of history on a lot of the issues. So he, I think, a lot of his success was coming to the middle. Um, and... Do you I mean? Do you feel like Leanne did that from the conservative side a little bit? I don't. I you know I, I don't think so. I think she was very rock solid in her conservative beliefs, but she's a pragmatist in governing. Um, I think Leanne uh, benefited from great name recognition, and I think at the end of the day, our other great great candidate Tom Toby. This is the first time he's ever you know put his toe in the water on on a, uh, in in a campaign, and he performed brilliantly. He campaigned hard. But at the end of the day, Leanne, as former mayor of Carolina Beach, as the uh, former member of the town council there, she had great name recognition. And she had great name recognition across all spectrums of the community. She also brought some very unique aspects. Being from the beach community and the importance of our beach communities, she has that pulse and she will bring that pulse to the, the county commission. So I think name recognition and the experience level uh, that Leanne brought to the table bore fruit. But I would agree, Rob definitely moved right over these last couple years. He's a smart guy. He read the tea leaves, and if you look at some of his votes, uh, they would not be necessarily in keeping with the Democrat uh, message. For sure. And so just in 
in more general terms here uh, within New Hanover County, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to seeing? Uh, perhaps it's like, you know, Project Grace getting off the ground, how they can do more economic development here in the county. Um, I guess what's exciting for you to uh, to look forward to with uh, with the now well, once the election results are confirmed, um, or I guess canvassed. November 18th. Yes. New Hanover County canvas. <laughs> then we can all sleep for a day. But once. You once promise? That, <laughs> I, no, no, I don't. But once that does happen, what are you, I guess, looking forward to seeing and sort of changes or projects you have in mind that, you know, just are exciting? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, for the residents of New Hanover County in both our county commission and our school board, these last few years have been very tumultuous. There has been way too much happening in those bodies that don't relate to what's in the best interest of New Hanover County. So, Michael, over, overall, what I am um, I'm most excited about with these election results is that, Lord willing, we can move away from the dysfunction and the non-governing issues that have been so problematic for both of those uh, institutions, and we can get about the business as it relates to the county commission of, of making the best choices for all residents uh, and taking some of the personal stuff out of, of the debate and discussion. And on the school board, hopefully having very, very vociferous debates on that board, but very respectful debates on that board. And so the, the dysfunction that we have seen on the school board uh, will be more hotly contested debate, which is which is appropriate, but at the end of the day, very appropriate functioning of that board that we can all be proud of. That's the biggest thing I'm most excited about, not issue by issue, but just governing right. And then people in place that want to be held accountable and want to be transparent. I think that's so important for you and I as citizens that, that our governing bodies and those who are elected officials are, are, are desirous of transparency. So we can see you know, what's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, there's some things that, you know, personnel related that we should not have a, a view on because they're very, uh, uh, very uh, intimate debates that, that need to go on. But so for me, long answer to your question, I'm looking back to getting, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to the basics of governing in the best interest of all residents of New Hanover County. And I asked you this off mic, so I'll ask you on, on the record. I know um, we talk a lot about how it's pretty much 24-7, 365 campaign season, so I, I assume you're already at it for the next round. We are. We started yesterday. Uh, I started with some texts at about 6.30 in the morning, had a lunch with our executive director where we began to turn, turn the page and open a new chapter. 2023, we have important city elections, the municipals. Uh, we're already talking to candidates, uh, and we're also going to do an after-action review. We're going to look at what we did well as a party, what we didn't do so well, what we need to look at doing uh, uh, testing and seeing if it works. Um, as an organization, we just want to be better every day. And so we're going to take the hard look at, at, at our party and say, what did we do well? What didn't we do too well? What do we need to do differently moving forward uh, to get the message of conservatism out there more effectively? And, uh, and recruit great candidates and, and do the job. So, yeah, we turned the page. We had no rest uh, at all. We, we started yesterday, and we will continue. Uh, this is a 24-7, uh, the city, this county, this state, this country, too important to rest. 
but if you allow me, I will take the 19th off after the canvas. <laughs> that, that sounds good. I think the, the last question I would have is that um, I know every party deals with this, and um, you know politics is a contact sport, so we have to allow there to be strong opinions. But sometimes those opinions are too strong for the public taste. Uh, every party has their extremists. Do you worry about uh, or are you thinking about how to manage the extreme wing of your party? You know, it's, it's not managed. I mean, we're a volunteer organization, and we do not have control over the 54,000 Republicans who are registered. Uh, we do our best to steer the ship and steer the debate and the message that comes out from the Republican Party. Uh, we work very closely with all the different groups affiliated with the party to try to get us on the same sheet of music. Uh, we will uh, uh, condemn behavior that is not appropriate uh, on our side as we would the other side as well. Um, this is a great country that allows for free debate, but it, it should be respectful. And, you know, as I was working the polls these last couple weeks, continued to have discussions with my friends on the other side that we can disagree, and we should disagree, or we're not doing our jobs as a political party, but we should disagree agreeably. And again, it's an issue, not a person that we should be attacking. Uh, I believe our solutions are best. I'm not the, the greatest person in the world, but I believe the solutions I stand for are in the best interest. So I will fight for those beliefs, for those policies, but I will not attack an individual at the personal level. Yeah, I think that kind of wraps up what I had wanted to ask about. I guess it's the, you know, the $64 million question here um, and kind of waxing philosophical. And I think uh, Ben Sass actually wrote the book Them about— Great book. How, Fantastic. I, I think you actually gave it to me. I did. Um, how, the, how the country is so divided right now, and you talk about uh, the attacks, and we saw so much of that attack uh, going back and forth from— uh, campaign ads, and that's unfortunately been all too common on whatever side you're on. That's just the way elections seem to go this year. Um, but is the divide, in your opinion, growing? And is there any way that you think the GOP can retain some of those middle of the road, um, conservative, uh, moderately conservative, or um, you know, left leaning, but might be willing to vote for? Uh, a Leanne Pierce, vote for the person as opposed to the party. Um, is that fissure growing? Because it has been, in my opinion, for past eight to 10 years. Um, but it could be repaired, I think. I think it can. And I think, you know, my first uh, presidential election was 1984. I voted for Ronald Reagan. And I think of Reagan's words that a person who agrees with me 80% is my friend. And I think in a political spectrum, I mean, in a marriage, you're never going to agree 100% husband and wife. There is no relationship that you ever will agree 100% all the time. And I think as a party, we try to communicate that, that 80% agreement is our friend. And there is a big tent in the Republican Party. 80% agreement is a win. And that's what we need to continue to push. You know, I, uh, I'm a Christian, and I'm a sinner at the same time, where I make mistakes. We're all that same person. Nobody is perfect. You know, and I don't mean just on the issues, but no one, you know, we're all flawed in some way, shape, or form. And again, having the grace to understand that about each other is also very important. And again, I think what we've tried to do and what we will continue to try to do is forward that message, that none of us are perfect, and none of us will agree 
all the time. But what are those core messages that we do agree on? And let's focus on what we, Ben Sass wrote about this, let's focus on what we do agree upon and build from there. And that's what we as a Republican Party are trying to do. The basics that we agree on build from there. Awesome. Yeah, I think it just goes to show you have two, uh, two journalists, one with uh, NPR, which is that's not a, a notorious conservative <laughs> op-ed. You have an uh, investigative reporter who is uh, hated by many, actually. It doesn't matter. Political line. Um, and then the chair of the GOP. We thank you for coming in. I think this has been uh, a great session here, proof that, you know, different opinions can get along and have respectful conversations. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, it's well, it's uh, it was a, a, a great campaign. Congratulations. Thank um, you. It's your job to get people in office, and it's our job to uh, hold them accountable for the next two, four, however many years. Absolutely, and you both do it very well. Well, thank you, and thank you for being on. Yep. Absolutely. An thank honor. You. All right, well, there you have it. Our, our first guest here on Port City Politics, we look forward to having a lot more. Uh, we obviously want to reach out to people of all political stripes. We want a diversity of opinions and voices on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I don't care if you have uh, if you're apolitical and don't want politics at all. This uh, it is port city politics, but there are more people to talk to uh, than just people who are within different parties. So keep that in mind. Before we go, though, I did want to uh, talk about another story that I actually have running uh, today is Thursday that we're recording this that is going to be running on WECT uh, tonight. And that is a sensitive story. There's going to be a lot of people asking why I did this story, uh, calling me all sorts of names, saying that I'm just stirring the pot, um, whatever. Email me, text me your complaints, tweet at me. It's cool. The story's still going. Um, This is two years in the making, more than two years. And you and I were both at Port City Daily when this all first happened. And we're talking about the incident between uh, three Wilmington Police Department former officers who were captured on a accidental recording by a backseat camera. Now, Ben, give us a quick little rundown of the timeline of events, because you and I were the first ones to find out about this. We actually had an inside source telling us about this stuff. Yeah, we heard about this. Um, We reached out to the Wilmington Police Department. Uh, Linda Thompson was their chief communications officer at the time. we had had a spirited relationship with her in the past where, you know, we would present allegations to her. She would rebuff them. In this case, um, that was not the case. Her reaction was basically, I'll see what I can do. Um, she tacitly just acknowledged this was a thing. Something was going on. And we wanted it public, but we knew it was going to be very sensitive. Um, this was, you know, the summer of 2020, um, you know, an incredibly tense time. Race relations were, were strained. There were protests in the street. And we knew that the subject matter was police officers saying racist things. Mm-hmm. So we knew that this had to be had to be reported, but had to be reported sensitively. And in short order, then um, city council held a closed door meeting, uh, I believe, with members of the police department to discuss whether they could use a statutory carve out in personnel law that says basically if the public's faith in an institution is at stake, you can release personnel information. Mm-hmm. They signed off on that. We spoke to some members of city council, again, confirming that this was coming. Um, so we were able just to put out the news that, hey, you know, th- something very serious, very sensitive is, is coming out. Um, the Wilmington Police Department then held a press conference. Uh, we reported on the contents of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need to retread that because no. it went international news. Yeah. And since then, 
Um, we so during that press conference, they released uh, a transcript, mm-hmm. um, a selective transcript of some of the things Correct. this officer said. Over the years, uh, you and I have gone to court to get mm-hmm. additional material. That's you know, there's state laws protecting that, so we had to go to superior court. And they eventually released. We were able to get the full transcript through the civil court because one of the officers, um, you know, basically was was appealing his conviction through the civil court process. As we've said before on the show, civil court's beautiful because everything becomes public. Love it. You gotta love it. Um, and for journalists, there's just nothing better uh, yeah. in terms of accessing transparency than a civil case. So, long story short, all of this plays out, but we had never actually heard the audio. And the crucial issue here is the difference between reading what someone says and hearing them, uh, the tone of their voice, the the tenor of their delivery. Um, and so months ago, you and I, uh, you actually went to court and, and successfully got the audio of this, actually audio and video. Yeah, so I want to be kind of clear on this because when we say we go to court, um, yeah, yes, I mean, I guess technically if you walk in the court building, we can say, oh, we went to court. Well, sure you did. Um, Often when we say that, we mean we had to go and get an attorney, stand in front of a judge and convince them to release body camera footage. Uh, That was not the case because Judge Joshua Wiley, uh, I'm not sure if he's still a judge, but he was at the time. He is the one that declined the police department's request to release this video, as you mentioned. Um, So we didn't go to court to challenge him. I ended up going to get court records from, as you had mentioned, Brian, uh, Brian Gilmore is one of the former officers. Um, he was the one who appealed his firing. It started within the city of Wilmington civil um, civil service division or whatever the the oversight board is and went through all this process. He appealed it to Superior Court. And that, like you said, is when it became public record. It was still a challenge for me to get this, though. I got all the paperwork. I got the entire court docket. Uh, I got the full transcripts. If you want to read a full transcript like this, it's, you know, 300 pages of paperwork and it's a lot. So we really wanted the video. We really wanted the audio. Um, Clerk of court basically said, oh, we don't have the technology to copy you a version of this disc. I said, well, it's public record. They said, yeah, we just can't. I said, can I bring my uh, my computer in? No, we can't let you have the original, which to be fair, I totally get. Don't give anybody the original of evidence. Please don't do that, court. I support this. Yes, me too. Um, They said, no, we can't let you put the original on your computer lest you destroy it. I said, cool, got it. I said, how about I come back and look over your shoulder and I'll record it as you watch it. Oh, we don't have DVD players on our computers. I'm looking around the courthouse. I'm like, there's not a single DVD player in here? Like, you can't pop it up on a screen? How are you going to play this for the judge? Um, so I left there feeling a little dejected. Uh, the next the next week, I actually went out to IRE in Denver, the Investigative Reporters and Editors uh, Conference. When I got there, spoke with some friends about this, and uh, <clears throat> when we got back, one of my friends had actually, uh, a, a colleague out in Charlotte had actually emailed uh, an attorney on my behalf introduced, uh, just basically saying, you know, hey, Michael's having some of the same issues I had here in Charlotte. Can you help him out? That attorney did, sent a letter to the clerk of court. We ended up uh, a little bit of back and forth. It took about two, two and a half weeks. Finally, I got the phone call saying, hey, you can come down and get the video. So uh, it includes the accidental recordings as well as four interviews between the three officers as well as the one supervisor who discovered this video. I don't want to go too far into this, but needless to say, there's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of 
awful and heartbreaking words that really make you doubt, just doubt the the safety of the community when you have police officers talking like that. Um, and again, to be fair, to make sure credit is going where it is due, uh, Chief Donnie Williams of the Wilmington Police Department, uh, it was like his third day into the job. And he said, we are not having this. He fired them. He did this the public way uh, for full transparency's sake. Uh, District Attorney Ben David issued Giglio letters. So it's a lot of stuff, but credit where it's due. You can watch that on WECT News at 6, and I think that's a good place to leave it. All right. Well, yeah, uh, we'll have links to that story um, intense, so be forewarned. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, the reason that I decided to put this out, that I worked with my bosses, we worked as a team at WECT to figure out whether or not, and I mean, I bounced ideas off of you. Do we do we put this out? Do we not? Um, first, the fact that I had to go through all this process, and you and I have been trying to get this for two and a half years, like legitimately. So the fact that we would get it and then not use it just seems a bit silly. Uh, then we also have the issues surrounding Columbus County Sheriff-elect Jody Green, who was former sheriff, resigned sheriff, suspended sheriff, who was also caught on recording make, being racist. So it's it's still timely. These things are still happening. And I think it's just important to make sure that these things aren't going, uh, getting swept under the rug. Yeah. All I can say is that it's, it's great reporting, um, nice work. And I think really getting access to as close to transparency to really hearing what happened so it can't be explained away mm-hmm. as easily. Um, I think that's crucial. So I'll leave it there and uh, we will see you next week. All right. We'll see you then.